Yes, we are live on another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. We have a lot to talk about tonight. Alex Dono alongside Frank Zaffrey, and Five Rounds is served by the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Oh, you know I love the Quarterdeck. And guys, this is the time of year to be going to the Quarterdeck at least twice a week. Football season is absolutely lit at the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Take advantage of the five for $15 ice-cold buckets Heineken family of beers, high noon hard seltzer, mix and match, five for $15 buckets all football season long on college football Saturdays and NFL Sundays. It is a beautiful thing. The quarter deck, you should know this by now. They have two for one happy hour all day, every day. That never ends at the quarter deck seafood bar and neighborhood grill. And every time I talk about the quarter deck, I make myself hungry. I'm thinking about that fresh seafood the oysters, the main lobster. I love the buffalo shrimp. That is my favorite appetizer on the planet. The sushi is so fresh at the quarter deck. I love to build my own poke bowl there. The sandwiches and burgers are to die for. If you want to peep their menu before you go, uh, visit them online. Find the location nearest to you as well, quarterdeckrestaurants.com. And make sure you check out every UFC pay-per-view at the quarter deck. It's been a minute since we've had a pay-per-view fight, but they have them all at the quarter deck on the flat screen TVs covering every wall for zero cover charge. You pay nothing at the door to watch a UFC pay-per-view. The quarter deck, come for the food, stay for the fun. So we're down a man today. Uh, James Walker uh, had to do some work, so he's not going to be with us this evening. He will be back next week. We got Manny Chang in the back running the show. And, of course, we have Frank Zaffrey. Frank, I, I got to ask you, it seems like your Twitter follower count is up a little bit. But then I noticed you made your account private. Like, what, what, why are you shutting it down for the people? I'm not. It, well, there's two, there's two answers to that question. Number one, all my followers are porn bots. And I don't know how to stop this from happening. So I Googled <laughs> it. And it said, if I do, if I click this switch, I have to approve followers. Oh. And so I thought, okay, well, that would be a great way of preventing all this, like, riffraff from getting on my Twitter <laughs> follower thing. Because when you only have 40 some odd followers and 26 of them are porn bots, that's a bad that's a bad look. I don't know if it the, is, they're not hurting anyone. The second reason was that, have you heard about speakeasies? That, that, I mean, they're getting really popular. And one of the popular things they do is they lock the door. And then everyone's got to know somebody with a key. Have you heard about this? They've got a few of them in Fort Lauderdale. No, the only and, thing I know about speakeasies was from the Prohibition era. And I'm guessing oh, no. we're talking about something different. No, it's the same concept, oh. except liquor is, of course, legal. Right. But they have these things called speakeasies. They're usually behind another restaurant or above another restaurant. And they lock the door, which creates this sensation like I really, you know, everyone wants to have the key to the door. They can't get in, right? Okay. So okay. I thought I can't get Twitter followers. <laughs> it's impossible to get Twitter followers. So why don't I put a lock on the door? And then maybe everyone's gonna go, wow, I really want to get in there and find out what's going on. Cause I'm gonna improve everybody. You know what I mean? So oh, I see. Anyway, I see. So wow. yeah, it's a it's a it, there's there's two strategies happening. <laughs> Right there. I don't know. I think by locking that door, you just no one's going to come in now because, you know, because the thing is, like, they, they can't see what you're tweeting about unless the door on Twitter is unlocked. And then if they can't see what you're tweeting about, I don't know why they would want to follow you. So it's like a catch. Well, they, too. they could see what I was tweeting about and no one was following me. And the door was open and no one was following me. So the definition of insanity is to keep doing what you're doing and expect different results. I guess so I'm so. trying something different. If it doesn't work, I'll try something else. 
or maybe I'll just stop humiliating myself and get rid of it. Uh, the first step of that is the fact that uh, my name on the screen no longer reflects a Twitter handle that nobody looks at. There's oh. instead just my name. <laughs> well, I'll give it out. It's at real Frank underscore Z. And if you request to follow, he already revealed he yeah, will let will you in let, the door. I will let you in, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and by the way, before the show is over tonight, we are going to be giving away a $20 quarter deck gift card. Uh, we've had winners in the previous two weeks. Manny, not Manny Chang, a different Manny, uh, was two weeks ago. Marla won the gift card last week. So we're going to be giving away a $20 quarter deck gift card. And so you have to be watching and listening throughout the next uh, hour and 10 minutes because we're going to give you, I haven't decided what it is yet, but at some point this hour, I'm going to give you a code word. And then later, I'm going to ask you to regurgitate the code word. This seems like the kind of thing they would do at a speakeasy. Don't you need a password to get in? To exactly. And see how well that's been working? So okay, uh, okay. I think so I might gonna, be on to something. So we're going to do something like that. Before this hour is over, we're going to give out a code word. And then later, I'm going to ask you to repeat the code word. Use uh, the chat here on uh, on the YouTube stream. Use the live chat. Or you can also tweet me. You can see my handle there, at Alex Dono. Dono spelled D-O-N-N-O. You can either tweet me uh, or use the YouTube chat because I know that some people aren't able to, to chat while they watch. Maybe tweeting me is easier or vice versa. So you can get in that way. So I will be coming up with and giving away a code word later this hour. I would say the place to start this weekend. Now, this is a rare weekend off for the UFC. We are going to look back to a couple of really impressive fights this past weekend and look ahead to later on this month. But it certainly is not an off week for combat sports. In fact, in our own area, Frank, at the Seminole Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida, Triller is back for another boxing pay-per-view. And honestly, I think what they're doing in the main event of this card should not be legal. Like, I do not think this fight should be allowed to happen. And it's an eight-round heavyweight professional boxing match. It's not an exhibition. They're not wearing headgear. They're not wearing, like, extra padded-up gloves. Like, this is a professionally sanctioned boxing match. Uh, we we took a long maze to get here because originally it was supposed to be former MMA champion Vitor Belfort taking on Oscar De La Hoya. De La Hoya got COVID, had to drop out of the fight. In the last minute, who do they replace De La Hoya with? 58, soon to be 59. I think he's got a birthday in the next month or two. Almost 59-year-old Evander Holyfield is going to be boxing Vitor Belfort this weekend. Why do I think this is so dangerous? Okay, first, the obvious. Evander Holyfield, almost 60, okay, hasn't had a professional fight since 2011. A year after that, filed for bankruptcy. So I think it's pretty obvious what his motivation is for taking this fight. He probably wants to cash a check, and that's really unfortunate. Um, Evander Holyfield, like for those who have been listening to him speak for the last 10 years, you know, he does interviews occasionally since his retirement for boxing. I had the privilege of interviewing Mr. Holyfield several years ago. Um, the guy, for more than a decade, even before he stopped fighting, has sounded punch drunk to me, like has really sounded punch drunk, slurred speech. Like even at the tail end of his professional boxing career, I was always thinking like this guy better hang it up soon. Like it, it's not safe for this guy to keep getting in the ring. I don't want, you know, I don't want the rest of his life to go the way the latter portions of Muhammad Ali's life went. Like I really do not want that for Evander Holyfield. And just to make this fight happen, Frank, it was supposed to happen in California. California would not sanction the fight. 
they would not allow Evander Holyfield to step into the ring and box professionally. So Triller started commission shopping. If the California Athletic Commission won't sanction it, we'll find someone who will. Florida. <laughs> what a shocker that is. So Florida is willing to sanction this fight. And listen, Frank, to be fair here, I'm not expecting something terrible to happen because the odds are uh, Vitor may take it a little bit easy on him. Like, he may understand oh. the situation. Like, I'm not going to try to kill Grandpa in this You're ring. So, yeah. chance, so chances are something terrible probably will not happen. But the, the small chance that it will and that this could go really, really badly for Evander Holyfield and affect the rest of his life, to me, is a risk that's not worth taking. What do you think about all this nonsense? Well, first of all, I want to start with your last point. I don't understand why we continue to expect, to anticipate, regardless of age difference or anything else, a mixed martial arts guy to be proficient at boxing against a five-time boxing heavyweight champion. You think Holyfield Bowler, wins? I think Evander Holyfield is going to separate Vitor's head from his body. I don't think I, – I, I just I, – no, I mean, it. look, I don't care – how slowed down cerebrally Evander Holyfield is or the fact that he's 58 years old. He's a five-time heavyweight champion who, by the way, if you've seen him recently, is pretty jacked. So first of all, the boxing acumen, pedigree, experience, everything goes to Holyfield. The second point I would make is that, um, you know, look, this whole, this whole, uh, this whole concept about sanctioning it, Mm -hmm. Wasn't Mike Tyson recently sanctioned to fight Roy Jones? I mean, these guys yeah. weren't that much younger. So the precedent has been set. Jake Paul just fought Tyron Woodley. Jake Paul really isn't the kind of professional boxer that should be, you know, getting in there with some people. Should should uh, should Jake Paul have been allowed to fight an experienced combat veteran? I mean, I think the gates are open. I mean, they've let it go in terms of, you know, the kinds of protections that athletic commissions mm -hmm used to bestow. I know California wasn't going to sanction it, but you know, yep. look, you're going to find a state that will. So I would say that. And then, and then my last point, Alex, I, I have a question. Mm -hmm. How rigorously is the drug testing done for this event? Because at heavyweight, you and I both know that when regulated appropriately, Vitor Belfort is 170 pounds soaking wet. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's not regulated very closely, <laughs> And they are competing at a, at, a, at a reservation. They are competing in the Seminole Casino. Yeah. Um, Vitor Pelf Belfort, testosterone enhanced, could easily be just a ball of muscle at about 225. So I don't know the answer to that. I'm guessing it's going to be bare minimum because, like, you think about all the testing that's being done, like, in the UFC now. That That's the UFC paying for their own testing. That's not the commission yeah. doing that. Like, the, the UFC actually pays for enhanced USADA testing. So when you've got athletic commissions involved, there may be a random drug test and they may conveniently forget to test a few guys on the card. So I, I can't give you a 100% answer on that, but my guess would be drug testing for this event would be bare minimum, like absolute bare minimum. And But I have, I have seen Vitor doing some of his press leading up to this fight, and he looks pretty good. Like he looks a lot better than the last time you and I saw him in the gym, Frank. Do you remember when uh, yeah. this was in like the later days of his UFC career back when the Black Zillion still existed? This was right after he had to get off the TRT. We saw Vitor training and he was deflated. And it was like 
physically deflated. I'm not even talking like figuratively. Physically, literally, he was deflated. And we had just seen him, or, or you had seen him in the gym less than a year prior to that when he was still on the TRT, and he was like three times the size. Yeah, it was funny. The time I had seen him when TRT was still legal in the UFC, he was walking around the gym and around media, and he couldn't wear – he couldn't wear, he couldn't be naked enough. You know, he came out with just the bare minimum that would be required not to be arrested for public indecency at the event. And then when you and I went to see him post TRT band, he couldn't get enough clothes on. I think yeah. he had three sweatshirts on, sweatpants. I mean, he did not want you to see him. I mean, the transformation for him was unbelievable. So I expect we'll see, a, a, based on what you said, I think we'll see a, a beefed up, uh, Vitor Belfort with a very, very small gas tank. He'll come out blitzkrieg, and then that's it. Nobody plays the defensive game, the heavyweight division back in his prime like Evander Holyfield. He'll lean head first in, open to catch a few headbutts as he's defensively weathering the storm, and then watch for Evander to use that experience and that ring pedigree and just start teeing off on Vitor. I, I, know, I, I, I think I, th I think you're clinging on to old memories. I was watching he, uh, Evander had a media workout within the last couple of days and the video went viral. I've seen faster hands at Century Village retirement home. Like he dude, like he he looks terrible. Like he looks like you would imagine, you know, a guy who has been through dozens of heavyweight wars would look like, you know, 10 years past retirement and 15, 16 years past his prime, he looks every bit of that washed up. And so, listen, I, I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I I take what you say. You were right earlier when you talk about, you know, you can't expect former MMA fighters to transition seamlessly into boxing. I get that. But at the same time, Holyfield, to me, looks so washed. And I really worry about his health. I mean, uh, Brendan Schaub told this story. And I, I honestly, I had a similar experience with, with Holyfield you know, seeing him in person, Shab told the story. I was at a charity function with Evander seven years ago, and he had to have a handler to steer him where to go because he didn't know where he was at. So I don't know if he should be fighting, Shab said. But Evander, I have no idea how he's going to look. Now, when I saw him at that charity function, maybe he had some drinks. I don't know. Maybe he was just out of it. But a guy did have to whisper in his ear everybody's name and show him where to go. And it's just, I don't know, It's just, that's the way he has carried himself for the last several years. He's always struck me as someone who is incredibly punch drunk, as you would expect a heavyweight boxer of his era to be so many years later. Like, I, I seriously, and this fight may not be the tipping point, this may not, may not make a difference, but I seriously worry about his health and safety. He should not be doing this anymore. I mean, look, it's not a great idea for a near 60-year-old man to be in a boxing match, but if I'm going if I'm, if I'm to let somebody get away with it, it's going to be a five-time heavyweight <laughs> champion. Um, you know, so, but, you know, broader point, Alex, does it terrify you that this is going to get a ton of buys coming off the Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley thing? Does it terrify you a little bit as a fight fan that this is all anybody cares about particularly yeah. at a certain generational level. You know, Kevin Ioli, we got to get him back on because, I mean, look, he keeps acting like this is going to go away, but it just <laughs> keeps coming. It just keeps rearing its head in different forms. I mean, yeah. I'll bet that crowd is sensational. I'll bet it's star-studded. I mean, who's not going to want to catch another Evander Holyfield fight? And there's a ton of Vitor Belfort fans in South Florida. 
And isn't who's the undercard? Isn't that oh, it's, Silva it's, it's Ortiz? Anderson Silva Tito Ortiz? That's the co-main yeah. event. Yeah, Tito Ortiz as a boxer amuses me too. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, it just you know, I just wonder, like, you know, this will do better, probably in terms of fan interest and purchases than most of the UFC pay-per-view cards in 2021. Ooh. Fair statement. Yeah, you're you're probably right. I think it is a fair statement. So what is that? And it do, and it's going to do way better than almost anything boxing is going to do this year, <laughs> which is why Oscar De La Hoya is all about this right now. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know. I, I you know what would be and, and Jake Paul Tyron Woodley might be number one of the year. Maybe so. Yeah. So, also also on this card, by the way, real quick, uh, Holyfield Belfort, Anderson Silva, Tito Ortiz. I'm actually I'm more interested in that actually. Even though we all know what's going to happen, like Silva's going to pick him apart, but still, I don't know the the idea of Anderson Silva boxing Tito Ortiz. It's kind of compelling to me. Uh, David Hay versus Joe Fournier, Andy Vences versus uh, Jono Carroll is also on that fight. Oh, uh, Uncle Phil, welcome into the chat, sir. It's a PED show. He says, right? <laughs> PED versus PED. I hope they put right? a Vander. I hope they put a Vander on some PEDs because I think he's going to need it, like in his state. I hope they put him on the juice. I'm glad Uncle Phil said that because one of the reasons somebody like Vitor Belfort isn't still grinding in the UFC is yeah. because of the changes they made to PEDs. I mean, you know, look, I mean, you, you would have seen guys like him continuing, if not in the UFC, certainly in Bellator or something like that. But, you know, eventually, you know, Father Time catches up with you when you can't inject uh, performance-enhancing mm -hmm. drugs. <laughs> So I want to uh, – oh, and, and Uncle Phil, he's from Birmingham, UK. Well, he was probably happy watching uh, Patty Pimbleton win his fight against uh, against my Italian brother this past weekend. That, that was pretty interesting. This Patty Pimbleton guy, Frank, making his long-awaited UFC debut, he was in some trouble. He kept eating those left hooks. like He was rocked a couple times. Then he ended up landing those right hands and just going into berserker mode. But I thought it was hilarious how this guy, he's from Liverpool, England home of the Beatles, and he has literally Paul McCartney's haircut from 1964. And he he's like he's like a 26-year-old guy, and he's got Paul McCartney's 1964 haircut in 2021. He is living that Liverpool gimmick, and he's taking it to the moon. Well, speaking of the UK, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know how old he is, but Lennox Lewis could beat both the guys in the main event, one fight after the other with no break. Lennox Lewis, <laughs> probably is, so. Uh, yeah, one of the most underrated great boxers we've had. Yeah, and uh, and Pat Patty Pimblet. By the way, I don't know why I keep calling him Pimbleton. Is that the name of like a London train station or something? <laughs> he says he's not from here, Patty, but he seems he's not from this. Yeah, no, he's he's not from the same city. You're right. I I just know. I so I guess a guy from Birmingham will not support somebody from uh from liverpool maybe there's a rivalry there the only thing i know about birmingham frank is do you ever watch the show peaky blinders that's set no. in birmingham really tough town apparently yeah no. really tough i town. do watch i do watch top gear british version oh okay yeah people I've rave been. about that i've never seen oh, it so funny please check it out okay okay i will so uh patty pimblet beat uh luigi vendramini i was very disappointed in that result khalil roundtree by uh brutal oblique kick uh defeated modestus bakowskis 
Uh, Alex Morono beat David Savada. Tom Aspinall looked really impressive. He caught uh, Sergey Spivak with that like short right. Like you don't usually see power from that close of distance. That was pretty awesome. And then we'll talk about the main event here in a second. So something something we're doing on this episode. Uh, maybe some of you watching and listening used to listen to Frank and I, you know, together back when we were uh, at WQAM doing Fight Night. And we used to do a segment every show called The Toss-Up. Uh, I want to re-debut that, at least debut the Five Reasons Sports version of it a little bit later on. I think we'll do it right after, Frank. We talked to J.P. Reese, former uh, pro MMA fighter, is going to join us at 6.30. So right after we talk to J.P. Reese, we're going to give you guys a new edition of The Toss-Up. And I see the chat starting to light up here a little bit. So, guys... I want to give you the opportunity. Now, maybe maybe this is not the best thing for Uncle Phil because he lives over in Birmingham. So he may. Uh, but if you want to catch a plane over here, bro, it may be a good opportunity for you. Or Frank, we need to open a quarter deck Birmingham. Can we think about that? Open one over in the UK. <laughs> take it over across lot, the pond. It's gonna be a lot of travel for me. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a lot. Uncle of Phil, <laughs> I need Uncle Phil's help. Seems like to run the place for me. <laughs> oh, man. And, and by the way, uh, Joseph Rodriguez, welcome into the chat. He says he loved fight night. So we're going to bring back the toss-up a little bit later. But I want to give you guys who are watching, uh, and you can either get back to us later via Twitter or via right here in the live show chat. We're going to give you the code word. So remember this code word. I'm going to revisit this in a little bit. The code word is Evander in honor of Holyfield. So write it down, jot it down. Evander is the code word. And later this hour, I'm going to call upon that code word. And uh, and you guys write it back. And the first person to write it back when we call for it is going to win a $20 gift card to the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. So let's get uh, let's get Uncle Phil. He says he's in a casino at the moment, you blokes. <laughs> I noticed uh, Patty Pimblett. He was doing his post-fight interview with Michael Bisping. He kept calling him lad. He's like, well, I'm telling him. And, and, for, and honestly, when he started talking, Frank, it took me about 45 seconds to process whether he was speaking English or another language. Like It's, it's amazing how different <laughs> Liverpool accent is from our Americanized accents. He's like, I'm coming for the entire UFC, lads. This is going to be, oh, man, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> now, Frank, did this main event, which was Derek Brunson submitting Darren Till, did it go the way you expected? Because it went virtually to a T, exactly the way I expected it to go. And I'm still amazed that uh, Darren Till was a favorite heading into that fight. Because that was one I couldn't figure it out. Because I've noticed in recent years, we used to always talk about this, Frank, years ago, that the odds makers used to be really bad at handicapping MMA fights. I think over the last few years, they've gotten a lot better at it. And they usually assign the correct favorites. But I thought all along the wrong fighter was favored between Darren Till and Derek Brunson. And the fight played out in Brunson's favor exactly the way we thought it would. Yeah, I, I picked Brunson on the last show. Um, you know, Darren Till, two big issues with Darren Till. You know, one, he's not multidimensional enough, I don't think, for Derek Brunson or for the top echelon of that division. And number two, he's in the wrong weight class. Um, I know he moved up because, you know, he had some setbacks, but he's still he, he's in the wrong weight class. So it went exactly the way I expected. Um, and, you know, that's really saying something, too, in terms of Brunson's dominance, because for Darren Till, I think it could be argued and I'm sure he felt this way. 
that was a that was a do or die fight for him in terms of his UFC trajectory. Yeah. I mean, now he has to do something dramatic like change weight classes, even if he doesn't want to, just to keep some uh, perspective for the UFC on his viability as a contracted fighter alive. Um, you know, so you know, at this at this division, he's toast. He's not even good enough to be a gatekeeper at this point. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible loss for him. So knowing how much he had on the line and still putting on a performance tag like that speaks to the disparity in overall mixed martial art talent between him and anyone in the echelon of fighters who are competing for a title shot. And I believe Derek Brunson is a viable uh, contender for that slot. I don't know if he could just sit around. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we will. But he's, cer he's certainly in the conversation. You know, in the case of uh, Darren Till and in the case of this fight, the difference was Derek Brunson could dictate where the fight took place and Darren Till couldn't. Like Darren Till's only option was keep it standing and I'm going to try to catch him and outbox him. Whereas Derek Brunson could say, do I want to strike or do I want to take him down and put him on his back and face very little resistance in doing that? Um, right. And it really just it came down to Till's lack of defensive wrestling and his lack of awareness before he got put away. But like early on in the fight, I thought Till, like his game plan in the first 30 seconds looked really good because he was very aggressive and he was forcing Brunson to back up. And yeah, you can't take somebody down if you're if you're being walked down the way that he was. Like backing him up was a good game plan. It was short-lived, unfortunately, because Derek Brunson, and another part that is so underrated about this guy is when he commits to those level changes and those double legs and he locks his hands up behind you, it is so hard to stop the chain of momentum from his takedowns. It is so, so hard to do that. Um, I thought areas where Till looked pretty bad was when he was on his back, especially in the first round, uh, did just a really bad job wrist control and body control because Brunson was able to posture up and drop some monster shots on him from top control, monster ground and pound. And it just seemed like, how is Till letting that happen? Like, you have to do a better job controlling your opponent's body. And he was passing his guard, passed him into half guard pretty easily as well. And then in the third round, Till actually had some really positive moments in the stand-up where he started to catch Brunson and hurt him a little bit. And then when he had him hurt, the fight IQ went right out the window because he overcommitted. He overcommitted to Till to try and finish the fight. Brunson, who was a little bit rocked, level change, which is – you can see it. What, what I love about wrestlers and why we've been staying for, God, almost two decades now that wrestling is the best base for mixed martial arts is – wrestlers one of the reasons is why this is such a great base is they they just have such great instincts like when you hurt a wrestler these guys are able to drop the level go for takedowns and often get them uh even though like really your consciousness is barely there like like the instinct kicked in for Brunson was able to take Till down took his back and then Darren Till did that little Conor McGregor thing where it's like the second the choke was in, didn't try to fight it. Like he like he was like waiting to tap out before the arm was even under the neck. Like he just wanted to get the hell out of there at that point, Frank. And, you know, uh, you brought up the idea of what Derek Brunson does next year. He's 37 years old. So if I were in his shoes, I don't know if I if I would risk you know, taking another fight and losing the title shot. But then the problem is Dana White is not always the guy who lives up to his promises, okay? That if somebody like Paulo Costa has an impressive win coming up, 
Brunson could still be jumped in line, right? So Derek Brunson, best case scenario, he's about a year away from fighting for the belt. That's the best case scenario, right? Because uh, Israel Adesanya is going to rematch Robert Whitaker in early 2022. So then you'd figure if that happens in like the first quarter, the first couple of months of 2022, you're not going to get the next crack at the belt until any earlier than mid to late summer, right? But then, Frank, what happens if Whitaker beats Adesanya? Then do you run it back and do an immediate trilogy fight? Then you might lose your title fight. Or if another uh, middleweight comes in and has a really impressive victory, he may jump you in line. So, you know, Derek Brunson can try to just wait and collect his title shot, and he seems deserving of it, right? Five consecutive victories. He is on a tear. And he has lost to Adesanya before, that is true. But he lost to Adesanya before Izzy won the belt. So it's not like he's lost a title opportunity before. And Adesanya, has bas- he's essentially cleaned out the division here. Like, Darren Till is a new guy he hasn't fought. But now with Till losing this fight, he has no business fighting for the belt, unfortunately. So it makes sense for Derek Brunson. The problem is he's got to wait about a year at best for this title shot. What do you think he should do? And what do you think he will do, Frank? Well, I think initially he should wait because there's a lot of vari- variables that are going to happen with the Whitaker out of Sonya fight. And, you know, look, I-, I don't know what his financial situ- situation is like, but if he's got a lot of money in the bank, then I would wait because at 37, a setback might be unrecoverable in terms of getting your place back in line. But if you have the situation like you described where maybe Whitaker wins and I got to run that back for a, a trilogy or – as you pointed out, one of the other contenders in the division leapfrogs him because of some uh, some spectacle they put on in a fight. If he sees that happen, he's going to see it before the spring of 2022. At which point he can book a fight. You know, so he won't. Uh, you know, so I think he could sit back right now, train, take it easy, heal up. At 37, rest is maybe the greatest commodity you can have. So I think right now. He could just rest his body, sit back and wait and see how this thing plays out. And I also would be encouraging him to be very active on social media, very active in the in the sphere of interviews, et cetera, keeping his name and, and the energy behind what he just did, you know, in the front of everybody's uh, minds going into that. But I think I think it's kind of a two step process. I think he waits and sees how Whitaker Adesanya goes. That makes a lot of sense. That's actually, uh, I don't know why I always have to think so like black and white, like he either waits or he doesn't, but like you said, it's a good point. Like he can wait for a little bit, see how things shake out. And then maybe I mean, there's fights fight. for him. There's fights yeah. for him. Cannoneer. Uh, Cannoneer. I mean, look, that's the obvious fight for the next person to challenge the winner of Whitaker Adesanya. That makes the most sense, but neither guy wants to risk their spot in line. And I right. think personally, Brunson's ahead of Cannoneer in terms of quality of run up to this point, in my opinion. But I don't know how Dana White feels, and I don't know what sells. And I, I fear for Brunson that Cannoneer might sell better. Yeah, but I don't know. You might be right about that. Uh, so I think in a couple minutes, we're going to be joined by former pro MMA fighter JP Reese. I'm going to open it up if you guys want to unleash the code word. First person to send in the code word either either on the YouTube live chat or on Twitter can win this beauty. I'll mail it to you. The quarter deck $20 gift card. So first person to unleash the code word. I don't know why I'm showing you the back of it. There's just a magnetic strip on there. Nothing special. 
but this just is so the, everybody knows it's legit. You know, you're just showing the point. whole thing like a magician. See, there's no hole in the back of this box. See, this is <laughs> this is a real card, baby. So we have the man, the myth, the legend backstage, and I love how every time JP Reese joins us. He, he's got a way better background than we do. He was at happy hour somewhere outside the last time we had him on. He's now, he's out there in front of the pool. JP, you're always living that life, my man. How you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, I was a little bit of a thunderstorm behind me. I went for a little run that got cut short. Uh, good thing, because I would have probably got a buzz on my watch and going, oh my God, I got to do radio. <laughs> I forgot. So the rain saved you guys. Oh man! So we are saved, but thank thank God. See, I orchestrated that entire rainstorm to make sure that JP could join us. Oh man! Uh, by by the way, before we get into some current events, I want to ask JP something, Frank, that you, me, and James talked about last show because this is a guy that, for good reason, JP does not like. I'm not a fan of his either. Actually, uh, did you see JP a couple weeks back when Kevin Lee? was like bitching and moaning like he, he was saying that Khabib Nurmagomedov can never be considered the best ever because he didn't like really clean out the division basically Kevin Lee was saying because he never fought me he can't be the goat of lightweight but it's like bro what have you done like you never earned a title shot there's a reason why he never fought you Kevin Lee you never earned it and he also Kevin Lee never earned that victory that he stole against JP Reese back in the day that is true. Um, you know, that was a fight that went my way. It was a wrestling clinic, and somehow I was on the wrong end of the decision. So, I, you know, I wasn't aware of that. I did know he just dropped his most recent fight. Uh, I know yeah. he moved up to 170, and he fought a, uh, a gamer. I mean, I forget the guy's name, but he was a um, somewhat unheralded, unranked guy and drops the decision. I watched the fight. Kevin looked very flat. I don't know what's going on with his head, but, uh, you know, the sport of MMA, you, you have your ups and downs, and sometimes you think the guy's going to be the next world champ, and then they go on a two, three-fight losing streak. You forget about him. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, it was uh, it was Daniel Rodriguez who who beat him and and looked uh, looked pretty good doing it. I was happy. But the funny thing about Daniel Rodriguez is, like, the guy, like, he, he's got the body of a heavyweight, fighting at 170 pounds like it's very odd because you, you kind of feel like if you can clean out that midsection a little bit he might even be he might even be a, a weight class lower um so you know let's talk about more more current things jp this weekend we got a little triller celebrity boxing what do you think about 58 year old gonna be 59 in the next couple of months hasn't fought in a decade and his prime is more than a decade behind him Evander Holyfield boxing Vitor Belfort. You looking forward to that? No, I'm not actually. But uh, come on, come on. But uh, you know, they they're doing all the tricks like this this whole thriller model. Like you know, I watched the Jake Paul Ben Askren show, and you know, like everyone, we ordered it. I thought Ben was going to win. I put my money where my mouth was. It kind of backfired a little bit. Oh well. Um, but those shows are something special. The, the entertainment factor is uh, is definitely it definitely gets my attention because they're going to always have a few music interludes before the performance, and then you got the former president of the United States doing the commentary for the main That's event. Right, like, I forgot itself. about that. <laughs> and by the way, I, I was watching the current president. I was I was watching uh, the press conference. Trump actually called in 
And he was talking about how he wants to box Joe Biden and how he would like put him out in a minute. It's like, <laughs> I was totally laughing would. so hard. Trump's I'm sure he Trump's would. Yeah. Big guy. Trump's like, <laughs> Trump plays some oh, college man. baseball. He's got athleticism in his, in his veins. Put out him and Jay- Ron DeSantis in a tag team match. <laughs> hey, JP. Uh, that was funny. Hey, uh, does the, does the, we were talking earlier. Does this whole like this whole theme that I think young people are driving the Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, Jake Paul, Ben Askren, Vander Holyfield, you know, uh, um, uh, Vitor Belfort. This this whole this whole new genre of fighting where it's basically kind of just goofy, um, kind of almost nonsensical stuff, but it sells like crazy. It's what the young people want to consume. Does it alarm you at all that this is the stuff that's really selling? This is the stuff that's driving media and driving attendance and driving uh, pay-per-view buys? I mean, it's the entertainment factor that I think, look, like we can, we can all agree that UFC is like top of the food chain for mixed martial arts. Like we yeah. tune in at every show on every weekend. It's on ESPN. But tell me you guys aren't like me where you watch it. You don't know who the guys are. They don't have much of a story. And right. You're, yeah. And it's like competitive fighting, but there's just no energy. You right. know, like during the pandemic, we're watching fights with no noise in the crowd. It's kind of almost eerie. Um, so I like this pro wrestling. We'll call it the pro wrestling model that that MMA and boxing is taking with. And it seems to be working because we're all ordering these pay-per-views like you know, I ordered the Sunday night Tyron Woodley Jake Paul fight, and granted, I was a little disappointed, but it's a tight. It was a tight one. Again, I put my money where my mouth was, and uh, you know, <laughs> lost another. Hey, J- JP, it seems like Jake Paul wants to move through your wrestling program. Maybe he'll call you out next. Yes. Would you guys, guys, guys <laughs> help me? Like I'm just some schmuck. I'm like running through like trails and things like that. Like I got nothing left. I got nothing left. Right? I'm just doing pull-ups on trees. <laughs> who else was on that Mizzou team with you? So you're on it with Askren, who Paul has fought. You're on it with Woodley, and and there would Michael Chandler as well, right? Like that. that who else Chandler was on that? Came in the year after I graduated. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I got I have a funny story about him, his first year of college, and he came down to South Florida to do a wrestling camp and. You know, he didn't know who I was. I, I did kind of know who he was. And uh, let's just say he quit wrestling that day. And I had to talk him back into getting into sport. No, I want to hear the background of that. Why, why did he quit wrestling? You yada yada the best part. Like, you, you can't yeah. skip over the best part of the story. All right, we were – so Mizzou used to do a, a camp at St. Thomas Aquinas High School during the summer. And they would run this camp from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. I used to actually work it when I was at Mizzou. And, uh, you know, here I am. I just moved to Florida post-college and worked for a mortgage company. And uh, I was still kind of actively coaching at Douglas High School. Uh, I was helping out some of the young kids. And uh, I just wanted to go and get, like, a roll around with some of the guys. And I, I met Michael Chandler for the first time. And my, my style of wrestling is I'm, like, real, like, funky and, like, like high. Like, I take a lot of risks. Hmm. And uh, what happens is... I either, you know, lose a tight one to someone or I just completely blow them out. So I went with Michael and uh, he fell for every little trick I did. You know, he was a freshman in college. I was a, you know, postgraduate senior, two-time national qualifier. So I had some good credentials. And uh, 
He just didn't know. He was so surprised that I beat him up so bad. I'm like, I'm like, guy, I, I've been <laughs> wrestling for a while. You don't have to take it so personal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after that, it was a joke because then he actually All-American his senior year, and I actually flew out to St. Louis and watched it. And I just had to kind of laugh with him that moment that, hey, remember when I made you quit wrestling? I'm glad you didn't quit. <laughs> and now look at it. <laughs> That, that, that's, a, that's a great story, man. Uh, that's really that's really good stuff. And and speaking of, uh, well, actually, I, I do want to get one more thing from you on on this Holyfield um, Belfort fight because, and and I get it. Like Belfort has also, you know, he's been out of MMA and he's not a boxer; he's an MMA fighter. But still, like, I, I do take the safety of combat sports very seriously. And they had to do some commission shopping just to get this fight sanctioned because originally the event was going to be in California. California would not put Evander Holyfield in the ring. He's almost 60, JP. Um, I've interviewed Evander before, you know, somewhere between six to eight years ago. And even back then, I thought he sounded incredibly punch drunk. Right. And, you know, obviously heavyweight wars from his era. Like, I, I really like I worry. And I don't know if this fight is going to be the tipping point, but like still the fact that they had to commission shop to get this sanctioned. Should we even be doing this? You know, it's, I, I hate to maybe see someone like Evander Holyfield, we can probably say is one of the best heavyweight champions of all time to be in this position. But remember, this is a guy that had that $45 million house in Georgia with a hundred and 106 bathrooms or whatever. So oh I guess God. he still got bills to pay. Yeah. Uh, he, he, was, hey, he was bankrupt a while ago. Hey, hey, guys, he had a bathroom for every kid. I mean, you know, he had a prolific heavyweight career. <laughs> yeah, he was you know, like the Will Chamberlain of boxing, you're saying. What's what's Vitor's age? What's Vitor's 44. Age? He's 14 years younger. I mean, it's isn't this like a fill-in? Like, wasn't Vitor supposed to fight somebody else? De La Hoya. And then De La Hoya has COVID. Yep. Vaccinated person has COVID. What do you know? And, yeah. uh, you know, then they're feeling, man, that can't. What is with these promotions? Guys, you guys got to market me. Get me in there. Get, get one of these YouTubers or Google you. guys yeah. and make, I'll, I'll come out of retirement for MMA. I'm not doing boxing. No thanks. Well, uh, the problem oh, is, not, but, but none of these promoters are doing MMA, though. All the special fights, you got to box because they're only doing boxing. Yeah, that's where you guys come in. Right. <laughs> so we got to promote this now. We got to make yeah, this you guys happen. We'll cross promote. Well, who do you who do you want to? Who would you like to fight? Let, let's see if we can get them on the show. Maybe next week. Well, at least we'll give a shot at. Like, give us a name. Like any name. Uh, I, I think unfortunately the man passed away last year. But like the guy Screech from Saved by the Bell, he would have been a good one. He died. So he'd be like, who who would you like to? Who would you like to have an MMA fight with? We'll contact them. Well, you know, it's a bummer that Jake Paul's gone through too. Mizzou guys in boxing, but if Jake Paul wants to make the transition to MMA, you know, I'm sitting around here, you know, rolling around with high school kids, kind of moderately in shape. I'm probably giving up 60 pounds, but I'm more than confident that I'd win that fight in mixed martial arts. What about Bieber? Care. Yeah, that wouldn't even be, that wouldn't even be a fight. I mean, It'd the money's famous there. though. Are you kidding me? Like if, the money's if, there. Yeah. yeah. No one's going to root for me. Except like maybe like my mom, but that, that's about it. <laughs> I would root for you. You guys too. Maybe maybe yeah. Frank will root for me. And I'm like I'm guessing I'm guessing Bieber has probably done a little bit of training because he's a big UFC fan. I see him at all the events, like his dad. So like I, I think I think Bieber's a fan. So he's probably knowing him. He's probably done a couple training sessions. So he'd probably be down. 
he's definitely probably hitting pads. Yeah. And, and he's maybe doing some BJJ against some smaller dudes, but he ain't sparring. He ain't he ain't really doing hardcore grappling. He's he's in a very controlled. He's in a he's like in a uh, a safe space training MMA gym. Hey JP, a lot of cool fights coming up in mixed martial arts in the UFC this fall and into the winter. Which one are you looking forward to the most? Well, everyone's excited about Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz. Um, I think Robbie puts him down in the first round. Oh, and on. you know, we I think we could say the best Robbie's days are behind his best days are behind him. But Nick Diaz hasn't been fighting like at all. Like in the last what six years, he's had zero fights. And then before that, I think that like the previous like four four years, he had like one or two wins. Am I am I correct in that? Those stats. Yeah, you are. You guys, you guys are the ones that watch MMA. I just kind of nonchalantly <laughs> tune on ESPN. You're talking to the biggest Nick Diaz fan in the world. In in fact, um, he clowned Robbie in the first fight 17 years ago, but he clowned him. History hey, will repeat itself. Guys, you realize that the Jake Paul effect is infiltrating UFC at the highest levels. You realize that both of you, Alex, MMA encyclopedia, super fan, analyst, commentator, and JP, former fighter, both of you are most excited about a fight between a guy who hasn't fought in nearly a decade and was losing <laughs> before he left and a guy who, and a guy who might be washed up. That's the fight everybody's the most interested in. Well, you know, there's going to be that whole element of uh, what, what is their brand? It's that 4209. So they're going to bring that kind of energy into the, uh, you know, the press conference if they show up. And then <laughs> it's actually it's even better for their brand if they don't like on like and I'm a DS fanboy going back to like before 2010, like way before. And like as a Diaz fanboy, when there's a press conference before a Diaz fight, I'm hoping they don't show up because it's like, yeah, he didn't show up. He's sticking it to the man. He's sticking it to the man. Yeah, no, that's 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 part of the entertainment. And if it somehow escalates, they're going to always throw more fire onto the or more gasoline on the fire. So that's always enjoyable, too. In but fact, it's Frank, not going to be like that with Robbie. Robbie's all business. Yeah, yeah Robbie's um, all business, for sure. I think there's some respect there, but there's going to be some, we'll call it some cross-promotion cross with, with everything outside of the cage for the Diaz brothers. What about LeBron James? You'd fight him? Oh, yeah. Slow single, <laughs> sweet single. Like, He's big, though. He's really big. And really strong. He's so athletic. Yeah. He's so athletic. He has no technique. True. I, I don't True. think he needs technique. I think he could reach out, grab you, and just hold you up in the air like this. You think? I mean, yeah, I know. To, I hope he reaches. If he reaches, so, then I have risk control. JP, do you like, know how? <laughs> do you know how strong those NBA guys are? They are superhuman strong. They yeah, are. LeBron, super... LeBron is like fake tough guy strong though. Like he doesn't Get want to fight. Here. No, he doesn't want to fight. I saw. I saw Charles Oakley live. Walk up to an Olympic bar. With 45 on each side, 135 pounds, put his hand in the center of the bar and just picked it up and put it over his head with one. Oh, hand. he's tough. I would not question Charles Oakley's toughness. I would not question he, Udonis Haslam's toughness. That's I'm questioning. not tough. That's strong. He okay. represents the median strength level of today's NBA. Yeah, it's but LeBron's a wuss. Because you know what? I don't know why these strongman competitions aren't just held in the UFC because, yeah. you know, those guys clearly are going to beat everybody. 
Hey, hey, JP, plug your wrestling team. How's that going? Yeah, how are they doing? Well, you know, this, today was the first day of school at American Heritage. Oh. Um, we're like the latest starting private school. Um, you know, season doesn't start till November. Team's ranked number one again. Um, you know, my biggest problem is having the bodies on the team. But for the kids that show up, they generally do very well. And most of our team is ranked in the top five in the state at the weight class. Awesome. So, you know, we'll have to get down there, Alex, and uh, see a couple of meets. I would love to you. watch that. And you know who, uh, JP, I'm guessing you see my friend Larry Bluestein. You see him everywhere, right? Because he, he well, covers that religiously. Yeah, he does. Uh, well, he does a lot of the high school football. And um, he actually does the state tournament. He's the actual announcer mm. at the meet. It should be you, Alex, oh. but Larry, Larry definitely wants that position. He, he's he's my my boy blue I, I will never and by the way I couldn't take any jobs for him but I would not try I love that man too much I would never I would never even try to do that but I I could not that I could because he's he's probably been no, like knowing blue he's probably I, I don't know how old he really is like he might be 55 he might be 105 he's probably been doing that job for 60 years he but he's phenomenal he is absolutely yeah. phenomenal at that state meet like it's like he's like a staple of the meet like him announcing and he like puts a little little moxie into how he announces guys and nice. puts a little back it's just enjoyable it just it's, it wouldn't be the same without him nice jp are the kids uh are the kids increasingly interested in mixed martial arts and what they might be able to do post wrestling is that a big is that an increasing conversation among your high school wrestlers well it's um it's kind of like a it's a hush hush thing for our program i think because the demand is there uh you know we have a lot of kids that train at ATT as well with Steve Mako that also come to us. And we, we actually have Steve on staff as a volunteer coach. He'll come oh, in nice. every once in a while. Um, but wow. really, it seems like if you are serious about MMA, you should get to American Heritage because hmm. I'll gladly change up practice. We'll do a little like maybe a grappling roll around submission wrestling. And, um, you know, it's just funny, but last year, this was like at the heat of like COVID and lockdowns and everything was shut down. And it was that day that Ron DeSantis announced that kids can return to youth sports. Youth sports are back. Mm -hmm. And I remember sending out a group text to our club. I said, Hey, club is open tomorrow, Saturday. Every kid showed up. We had a, we normally have like an hour and a half practice. We had a two hour practice. And then my assistant coach at the time, Donnie Eblen came and says, Hey, I want to do a little bit of sparring. So him and I did some sparring, and before I know it, all our guys have boxing gloves on, and it's like this, like, <laughs> we'll call it like this, like, adrenaline dump of, like, like just frustrations. It's just everyone's going, it's just like a war in there. Everyone's going at it, and everyone's just laughing when it's all done, and it was like a three-hour bender of, like, MMA, wrestling, boxing, <laughs> you call it, and, um, but, the, you know, the kids, the kids had their frustrations. They had to just kind of get them out. What's that? You, met, you mentioned Johnny Ebelin. What, what's he up to? He's still fighting? Yeah, he's in Bellator. He's ranked fourth. Awesome. He's, awesome. Uh, I think he's eight and zero or nine and zero now. Um, he's looking really good, and um, you know he's he's uh, we'll call it. He's on the plan with ATT. Like they're just trying to guide him along the way. He's probably one one fight away from a title shot in Bellator, and then Fantastic. I think I think once that's all wrapped up, then he could uh, be a free agent. And guess where he wants to go? <laughs> EFL. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we can't thank you enough. I always love uh, every, every time JP joins us. I know we're going to get some kind of a scenic view, thunderstorm or not, rain or shine. Uh, I'm actually glad the thunderstorm came to cut your run a little bit short so you can join us. JP Reese, uh, you, you're very active on Instagram. I know that. Maybe a little less active on Twitter, but very active on the gram. Where can people find you? I still go with the handle JP Reese MMA, even though. I'd rather be ballroom dancing, so we can just Oh, that's right. You and that ballroom dancing. Well, good luck with all that. (laughs) We'll talk to you again later, man. All right. See you, JP. Good stuff there from JP. I, I guess we should have kept him on to ask him, but he he's at uh, he's at American Heritage Del Rey, I think. There's also a plantation, but Alex M writes in, uh, didn't D Wade's son attend American Heritage? I played them in football back in the day. Beautiful field. Uh, that might have been the uh, the plan because there's you know the high school stuff better than I do, Frank. There, there's two American heritages, right? JP is at Del Rey, and then the one uh, most people think of, I think, the one in Plantation. That's correct. Yeah, and that that one's a huge campus. It's like a college campus. My my two daughters went there for uh, for elementary school. So oh, beautiful nice. place. Beautiful nice. place. Yeah. How about that? All right, with, a without bell tower and everything. Beautiful. Without that, uh, without further ado, let's bring back Frank. This segment won us all the awards when we were doing terrestrial radio. We were collecting Marconi's. I think we may have won an Emmy somehow for this. Let's bust out a new edition of The Toss-Up. What do we have, sir? Oh, there's no music? There's no production? The we production... Didn't give Manny enough time? We didn't give Manny enough time. We gave him like an hour. He needs a month. All right. Question number one. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest fight in UFC history today? Ooh. Um, okay, obviously, uh, I'm not just going to go by number of pay-per-view buys because then the answer to that question would be from uh, a couple of years ago, the Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov fight. But like Frank, to me, I don't know if you agree or disagree, that didn't feel like the biggest fight to me because the outcome was so obvious. Like th- there was there was no mystery to that whatsoever. Like we all knew that Khabib was going to ragdoll Conor. There was not even a question. Um, you know, this is actually uh, Manny's on the right track here, but like, I'm not going to go with this one either, but he's on the right track. So he says Lesnar versus Mir two. That was UFC 100. And Frank. Yeah. At that time, that was in 2008. I think it was landmark UFC event, UFC 100. But that to me felt gigantic because of the entire event more than just that one fight. And that was a big fight because, uh, you know, Mir Nebard Lesnar, the first time that they fought, Lesnar ended up smashing him in the rematch. And I did expect Lesnar to win the second one because he was so inexperienced the first time he thought Mir he fought Mir. And yeah, because also on that card, you had Dan Henderson, Michael Bisping, and you had uh GSP Tiago Alves, which was a disappointing fight because I thought Alves would put up more competition than he did, unfortunately. I actually thought he had a chance to at least look good against GSP. He did not, but that was all on the same card. So that was like that was probably the biggest event. But I'm not gonna say Lesnar versus Mir 2 was the biggest fight. I'm debating between two here, Frank. And yeah, my own special interest maybe come to play here a little bit. And no, I'm not gonna go with a Nick Diaz fight, but I do think in the running. Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, too. That was a gigantic fight. 
Uh, and listen, Nate beat him the first time. I certainly had some doubts as to whether he could do it again. And Connor actually did win the rematch. It was a very close competitive fight. That was one of the, and, and that fight also sold very well. So that was one of the biggest fights in UFC history. Uh, but I can also, Frank, I can make a case for, and I think newer fans of the sport maybe do not understand how big that fight was at that time. If you've only gotten into this in the last few years, but when the UFC made their network television debut debut on Fox, what ended up being a disappointing fight, but the buildup to it was epic. Um, the first time that Cain Velasquez fought Junior Dos Santos, and Dos Santos caught him and beat him in 61 seconds. But, Frank, didn't that feel gigantic? That was in late 2011. The UFC had never had a – and network TV used to mean something. Now everybody streams anyway, so who gives a shit about network TV? But network TV, like being on Fox, used to really mean something a decade ago. That fight felt gigantic. So I think I'm going to go between uh, Junior versus Kane on Fox in 2011 or from a few years ago, McGregor versus Nate Diaz too. What do you think is the biggest fight in UFC history? Well, I don't know how you didn't say this. And of, of all the questions, I assumed you and I would have the same answer. And I'm shocked we didn't because you actually picked two answers and still didn't pick it. As a business owner, I can't not pick Stefan Bonner, Forrest Griffin. Look, oh, it may not yeah. have had the most yeah. buys, but as yeah. a business owner, I can sympathize with what they yeah. were up against. They had lost tens of millions of dollars leading up to that fight. That fight doesn't happen. We're not doing a show. That's true. The, the league is over. We're doing a boxing league, show strictly. Yeah. The league is over. Wow. Maybe somebody picks it up years later, but the league as we know it doesn't exist. Stephen Bonner, Forrest Griffin became that tipping point yeah. that Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his most famous book. That was the fight that started it all. That's the reason all of this is here. That's the reason the UFC sells for more than $4 billion. That is a great point. You know what that fight was? That was lightning in a bottle. That was just perfect timing. That was the Ultimate Fighter season one finale. Uh, and it was it was on free TV. Like, ha had that fight been on pay-per-view, this wouldn't have happened. But the fact that it, it was on Spike TV, which doesn't even exist anymore. It's Paramount Network now. But that fight was on Spike TV right after a new episode of Mansers. And uh, and Griffin and Bonner fought an absolute war. This was this was before Twitter. Like I think Facebook, MySpace was around back then. But like people were literally texting and calling their friends, basically saying, "Bro, you have to turn this shit on. These guys are killing each other on mm -hmm. on live TV. Like you have to turn this fight on." And like I, I used to years ago, I saw like a chart for this that you could see like the ratings spiking, like going up throughout that fight because literally word of mouth, literally everybody was turning on Spike TV. And yeah, there are some photos from that. Uh, and that, that was unbelievable. And the crazy thing about it was, and, uh, and uh, you know, Griffin, Griffin took the decision in that fight, but I think both guys, Griffin and Bonner, they understood what they had just done was a masterpiece. Like, I think they understood how epic that fight was because the reaction by both guys, the way they embraced each other, the way they put each other's arms up, like they knew we just together, together we accomplished something really special. And no matter which one of us gets our hand raised here, because, you know, some people thought maybe Bonner would have gotten the hand raised. Griffin ended up winning that fight. No matter who got their hand raised, I think both guys realized how significant that fight was. And Stephen Bonner made the UFC Hall of Fame 
only for that fight. I mean, his yeah. career certainly didn't warrant it, which speaks to just how important that fight was to the history of combat sports. All right, you ready for the next question? Well, hold on, hold on. I, I want to, I, before you get to the next one, uh, people people are chiming in on this one as well. Uh, Bones Jones versus Gustafson. Also, like the, the, the first time and even the second time, Bone, Jones fought Cormier, felt pretty big as well. Masvidal versus Diaz had me shaking. I was just so mad that Masvidal, and I love Masvidal, but like thing is, like Frank, no matter what fighter I'm a fan of, if they fight a Diaz brother, they become public enemy number one. Like I cannot support, <laughs> I cannot support anyone against a Diaz brother. Lesnar versus Uberim was big. I love that fight, and I love that outcome. Uberim just destroyed Lesnar's body, like just destroyed him with those body kicks. <laughs> James Tony versus Randy Couture. That that might be one of the most embarrassing fights in history. That was slightly less embarrassing than CM Punk. Uh, but go ahead, Frank. Go to the next one. Out of the current UFC champions, which one will lose their belt first? This is a pretty easy question, actually. I think it's really easy. Now there are yeah. a couple of belts on the line at the end of this month, uh, but I don't think they're changing hands. I am going to go with the first UFC champion, current champion, who's going to lose the belt. I'm going to go with Aljamain Sterling is going to drop the belt October 30th. He has the rematch against Piotr Jan, and Jan is getting that belt back. Jan was about to keep the belt and then had a massive, epic fight IQ meltdown, throwing that illegal knee that got him disqualified. So Aljamain Sterling is wearing the Bantamweight title around his belt due to a disqualification. The belt will be rightfully around Jan's waist. Uh, a month and a half from now. Do you agree? I agree 100%. I mean, that's why I said it was an easy one. If yeah. you can't pick Aljamain Sterling, then you have to go to the heavyweight division only because history tells us that nobody holds that belt very long. The record right. for title defenses in the heavyweight division in the UFC is four. So, True. you know, and that's the record. So, uh, you know, even though Francis Ngannou looks scary, it's just a division where anybody touches you the right way, you're unconscious. So uh, that's where I'd go next. I'd go Francis Ngannou. Uh, but Aljamain Sterling, so obvious because he shouldn't be the champion now. And by the way, Aljamain, love him. Great guy. He's a great, great fighter, fighter, too. Great fighter. Yeah, just beyond on another level. Shouldn't have that belt. And I also, um, I also think the next time there's a lightweight title fight, I think the belt is going to change hands. Assuming, assuming Poirier fights Charles Oliveira. Oliveira, another fine fighter. I just think Dustin Poirier is a class above. And there's but not some... as certain as Aljamain Sterling. No, right? not I mean, as certain. I could see. No. I could imagine Charles Oliveira beating Dustin Poirier. I yeah. feel like the yeah. top of the light, uh, lightweight division right now is there's a lot of parity there actually with Khabib out of the picture. Now, this could be years down the road if it ever happens. Do you think anyone is ever going to beat Amanda Nunes, or do you think her belts only change hands once she pulls the Khabib and retires? Is anyone, like, do you think she's going to hang around long enough to pass her prime, or is she going to know the right time to get out? Not only, not only can no one beat her just because she's so good, but there's just not enough depth, unfortunately, at this point in women's MMA for there to be enough worthy challengers to her skill set. So she's just – she's so good, she's in a shallow pool. She's like Superman in a shower, Wonder Woman in a shallow pool. It's just <laughs> not going to be anyone. She would have to fight until she's 70 for yeah. 
women's MMA to develop and catch up in a way where she would have a viable challenger. Well said. Head and shoulders above the rest. Go on to the next one. The UFC has stood the test of time as the undisputed king of MMA promotions. What's your next favorite promotion over the years? Could be a defunct promotion. Doesn't have right. to be one that works right now. You know, my I answer, know what you're going to say. No, I'm going to say the same my one. An, no, my answer might surprise you. I, I think it will. I think to say pride would be it would be too obvious. Like I want to make more of a sport of this. And the other thing was like the UFC absorbed enough of pride that outside of outside of Fedor, like most of the people from pride you wanted to see fight in the UFC did fight in the UFC, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, I, and I'm just thinking about promotions I had a lot of fun watching over the years. And yeah, pride holds a special place in my heart. I used to rent the videotapes, like the actual videotapes. And it was so awkward because you would like have to go to where like the porn tapes were to find the pride. You'd like what <laughs> you'd walk behind like the beaded curtain at Hollywood video and like the people in there like, oh, I know where he's going. Like, you don't you don't know where I'm going. I'm, I'm going to get the I'm going to get Fedor versus Prokop. It's not what you think. Honestly, it's not what you think. But, you know, I got to tell you, and, and maybe, you know what, pride is probably the answer. But I, I wanted to come up with something else to be a little bit more creative. I had so much fun. Um, watching the promotion that was kind of like the leftovers of Pride after Pride. Do you remember Dream in Japan? Uh, yep. Like like Dream, um, obviously you didn't have quite the quality of fighters from Pride because most of the best guys from Pride went uh, were absorbed by the UFC. But you had some really good fighters in Dream. That was when Alistair Overeem got really jacked up on the roids and was just mashing people. They had Super Hulk, Grand Prix, Minowa Man, who was like 170 pounds, was fighting Bob Sapp, who was like 370 pounds. Like, and and the thing that I liked about Dream, you know, they had kind of the same ring and the same sort of set that Pride had because he kind of felt like you were watching Pride. And Dream, unlike Pride, was in high definition because, like, Pride was like you watch an old Pride fight right. now, and it looks like you're watching something from like the '80s. Like, it looks like the qual the video quality looks that bad. Dream was in HD, and also the commentary team for Dream in Japan, one of my favorites of all time. Like, he still calls fights, but it's just it's just not the same. Uh, Michael Chavello, the Australian dude, who would have those ridiculous calls, like. Oh, he took more hits than Lindsay Lohan's bong. Like he would come up with these ridiculous analogies, calling fights. Uh, it was usually him and uh, and Boss Rutten, and sometimes him and Pat Miletic. Just absolutely masterful. Like I I, I enjoyed Dream a lot, and uh, I think it was around like I don't know 2012, 2013 when they when they shut down. And it's just I don't know. Japanese MMA has not been the same since. I'm gonna go Pride. I'm going to go pride for a couple of reasons. J.P. Reese, who was on earlier, talked about today's UFC roster and watching fights and not really knowing who these fighters are and not having that emotional connection. Pride was filled with characters with which you developed emotional attachment to. You were emotionally invested in how they did. I think that is one of the most important parts of selling fights, obviously, yeah. and it made the league super exciting. The characters in the league were super exciting. And then the second thing I would say about Pride was of the various leagues that the UFC has either absorbed, bought and absorbed or continues to compete with, Pride was the one where they had a roster that I thought top to bottom was better than the UFC. Yeah. And, you know, I can remember Chuck Liddell running over there for an event and running into right. Rampage Jackson and losing. 
And then when the fighters came over, I know Shogun lost to Forrest Griffith, which shocked everybody, and everybody said, "I ah, see their Pro cop lost to Gonzaga." But but if you look at Big Nog, if you yeah, look at true. Rampage, if you look at Vanderlei Silva, I know he lost some fights, but he made a splash. If you look at some of the fighters that came over, they made a big impact. Shogun Hua ended up being champion. He yeah. beat Leota Machida, which nobody thought could happen. So, I mean, th these guys, they made a big impact in the league. They were a really deep, really talented league that was unbelievably corrupt, which was the only mm. reason ultimately it could not defeat the UFC. So pride for me, bro. Well, honestly, and you're right. When when the guys from Pride immediately came over, a lot like a lot of them struggled at first, but then eventually found their footing. Like Vanderlei right. Silva struggled at first. He ended up putting a decent career together. Shogun, same thing. Crow Cop. One of the theories was these guys came over from Pride where not only did they not drug test there, they were encouraged to take steroids. Like, like people have told stories about that, uh, that they were actually encouraged to juice up there. And then, and, and back then, the UFC didn't do a whole lot of testing. It was just athletic commission stuff, but there was still some testing. So a lot of these guys had to, if not completely get off of it, they had to like ease up on the juice a little bit. And so I think that that made, that made kind of an immediate, uh, that kind of made an immediate difference there. And, and by the way, I'll give love to strike force as well. Strike force is near the top of that list too. I have so many memories and strike force in the later years, they had an incredible heavyweight division. I mean, well, that had, was the division, though. Yeah, there was one division, but you're right. Yeah. Well, and they still like they 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 had Nick Diaz there for a long time. They had Robbie Lawler. They had Robbie Lawler when he was still his prime, a middleweight champion. Uh, you know, Scott Smith was actually was actually good for part of the time he was there. Babalu Sobral had uh, some of the later part of his prime was in Strike Force, but yeah, they had towards the end they had that sick heavyweight division where they had DC before he came over to the UFC. Um, you know, they, they had Fedor twilight of his career and he's still fighting somehow, but they had, they had Fedor, they had uh Bigfoot Silva. They had Josh Barnett when he was still in his prime. Like they, they had a lot of quality Heritanov. Like they had a lot of quality heavyweights in that promotion. And it really speaks to, and I, I'll get to the next question, but it really speaks to Scott Coker's brilliance. He's a smart guy. And when you're competing with the UFC, he took a gander at that, at that roster and said, if we're going to compete, heavyweights where we're going to compete and, and for doom as well for doom was another yeah, one yeah, yeah yeah all right the ufc the ufc has just signed alex perea the only man to ko israel adesanya i had forgotten that how big of a deal is this you know i they're, they're marketing it like oh this the only man to ko izzy is now in the ufc they're making a huge deal about it i don't i until proven otherwise, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, obviously, an excellent kickboxer, a glory champion. Um, he does have four fights of MMA experience, but not in major promotions. And the one time he fought a guy with any ground game, he got submitted. So I, I think he's making this move basically because the fact that he does hold two victories, one of them a knockout in kickboxing against Israel Adesanya, is a sterling part of his resume. But Alex Perea is 34 years old and with limited experience. Uh, I don't know if he's going to make the transition the way that Israel Adesanya did. I mean, Israel Adesanya is actually a better MMA fighter than he was a kickboxer. He was a really damn good kickboxer. There's no guarantee that Alex Perea, uh, the Brazilian, is going to make 
that sort of a transition. So honestly, until proven otherwise, I'm going to assume this guy is not a great, well-rounded mixed martial arts fighter. And chances are he's never going to fight Adesanya in the octagon. But Frank, if he does get a quality win or two, they're going to jump him right to the front of the line. Although he's big, like he he was a multi-division champ in kickboxing. Uh, I'm you know he's he tends to fight heavier. I'm assuming he can make 185. Uh, so so again, like if he gets a couple of wins, the UFC will do whatever they can to make that fight. But I'm not convinced we ever even see him fight Izzy. Yeah, I don't I don't put any stock into it. I mean, it was yeah. another life, another you know another deal he was doing. I you know. Hey, look, it's look, the UFC is a marketing machine. And if and what's the quickest way to get somebody to know who somebody is? Tell me that he beat some guy a long time ago in kickboxing. It was kickboxing, right? That he, he was. talked yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's you know, I, I don't think it's relevant in any way, shape, or form. And Israel's evolution, mixed martial arts, as he's been in it for a long time now, is is spectacular. So um, he'll be he'll be very tough to beat by anyone, uh, unless you're in the light heavyweight division. How much would I have to pay you, Alex? To get an I love Jake Paul tattoo. <laughs> Better, but but I'd rather ask the question differently. How much would I have to pay you to get a I love Frank Zaffrey tattoo? <laughs> uh, every man has a price, okay? Um yeah. and okay, well, next question would be where where is the tattoo? Is this something that's visible every day, or am I gonna have to be at like the beach for somebody to see this? I, I look, you could put it anywhere, but okay. it can't be it, it has to be visible. At the beach or in a okay. or, or in a tanning spot. Let's just Fair say enough. that. Fair enough. Can't be, you know, can't be hidden that that hidden. So I would say that like I would probably set the line at like 250k because I'm pretty sure that if I were to tell my wife that my buddy Frank Zaffrey offered me a quarter of a million just to get his name tattooed on me. And I turned it down. She'd probably be real pissed at me. Like for, for the, for the economic opportunity that I was passing up. I think if it was, I think if it was less than that, I can talk her into, this is really weird. You know, like at any time we get intimate or anytime we go to the beach, you're going to see this, it's going to be awkward. Um, but no, I, I think honestly, if, if you would offer me or anybody would offer me 250 K or above, I would do it, and and Tyron Woodley, he had the opportunity to pay up on his word, to pay up on this bet. You know, he got paid about two million dollars to lose to Jake Paul a couple of weeks ago, and he's supposed to be a man of his word and get this tattoo. Got paid two million dollars for that fight. He is refusing to get the tattoo. He's a welcher. Like he's not. He's not living up to his end of the bargain. I, I think he should be getting this tattoo, Frank. You know, did Jake Paul? Uh, mandate where the tattoo has to go because that's I'm not a major sure. part of this. I don't know if he did. Yeah, that that was my first question to you. I'm not. Maybe somebody in the chat. Knows. Well, no, no, no. You were you were talking about if it has to be like visible when you're dressed or or whatever. But mm. I mean, even even when you're undressed, like it doesn't have to be across your chest or right. does it have to be across your back. Like how big does that be? A lot of parameters here. I mean, I can get a microscopic tattoo. It says that. So <laughs> are, are you paid per square inch? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. There's just too many variables. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what my number would be for an I love Jake Paul. I'm going to say million bucks. I get the I love Jake Paul tattoo, um, provided I can pick the spot on my body that I put it. I love Alex M said, uh, hold on. He said, I would do it for a pub sub right now. <laughs> he would do it I'm for pretty- a chicken tender sub. 
I'm fl- I'm flipping hungry too, bro. I might yeah. do it for something like that too. I'm hungry. Okay, well, yeah, and, and we're gonna get out of here in a couple minutes. And speaking of hungry, I, I hope everybody watching this is hungry, man, because Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill—they are the proud sponsors of this show. Five rounds with me, Frank Zaffrey, and James Walker. He couldn't make it tonight. He's usually part of the show as well. Uh, the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar, and I'd do it for—I would do it for the key lime cheesecake at the Quarterdeck. Absolutely. I would do it for the French dip. I would do it to, to get a couple free cocktails at the Quarterdeck. Guys, you want to check out the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. If you haven't, what are you waiting for, man? The seafood is right out of the ocean. I love to build my own poke bowl, salmon, tuna. Sometimes I get both. It's so incredible. The seafood is so fresh at the Quarterdeck. The sandwiches are delicious. The last time I was there, I got the French dip sandwich with the au jus dipping sauce, and it is delectable. It is so good. And you can get curly fries on the side. You can get tater tots, mac and cheese, sweet potato fries. There are so many different side order options at the quarter deck. It will blow your freaking mind, man. Um, Uncle Phil, who's over there in Birmingham, uh, wants us to drop the uh, the address. You, you got to fly across the pond, mate. You, you got to fly over to South Florida. Locations all over South Florida. And like Alex M says, the quarter deck at the Dania Beach Pier, it's an experience. What I always say about that location, Frank, when you're out there, you're on the ocean, you're on the water there at the pier. I feel like I'm on vacation, right? Like I, I live in the area. If I go out there to grab a lunch or an early dinner, you go out there, you know, when twilight, when dusk, settles in like you feel like you're down in the florida keys it's incredible it is incredible so check out the dania beer location plant uh dania pier get a beer at the dania pier the dania pier <laughs> the dania pier location plantation location davy fort lauderdale fort lauderdale beach guys if you want to find the location nearest to you go to their website and you can also peep the menu while you're there because i like to decide what i'm going to eat before i get out there and then i change my mind several times Make sure you check every pay-per-view fight out there because there's zero cover charge for every UFC pay-per-view. Quarterdeckrestaurants.com is where you want to go. Quarterdeckrestaurants.com. Alex, before you jump off, did we have a winner? I don't remember. Did I blank that? Did we have a winner? You know, I I, I think we had – that's a a good question. So let's do this because I think the person who tried to win was one of our repeat winners. So for those in the chat right now, uh, I see Alex M. I see Uncle Phil uh, Michael Stefano, first person to write in the code word Evander, as in Holyfield. First person to write in in the chat the code word Evander is going to win yourself a $20 gift card. Live large I at the quarter I hope it's Alex because he said Daniel Pierre fears like a cruise. We've been using that uh, advertising yeah. line for a long time. Oh, really? And there he goes. He hit it first. No, Beautiful. Uncle Phil hit it first. I think Ooh. Joseph Rodriguez. Oh my God! Yeah, we. <laughs> I, I love. I Alex. suck at this. I yeah. suck at this. I get. Anyway. Yeah, if we're going, right, if we're cool. going, uh, and I, I said the first person to get it in, it was a photo finish, but they they show it on my screen in the order that they came in, and it was Joseph Rodriguez. And and by the way, Alex uh, and Phil. Uh, I will have another one of these to give away next Thursday, so you guys will have another crack at it. Okay. So we are. Uh, so Joseph Rodriguez is the winner. Uh, Uncle Phil doesn't. Uncle Phil doesn't want it anyway. He's very drunk. He said. So now let me ask uh, Joseph. I don't know if you if you follow me on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, send me a message and I will get your address because obviously I don't want you to put your address here on the live chat. 
but uh, or maybe I can write you a message maybe through Google through the YouTube page because I want to get in touch with you to get your address so I can mail this to you. And, uh, and Uncle Phil, I will make you this promise. If you take a little trip across the pond here to South Florida, we will hook you up if you can come over here because it's going to be hard to get it to them over in Birmingham. I don't want to pay for the shipping to send that over there. <laughs> oh, and Michael lives in Sydney. I love, we are international, my friends. We are absolutely international here on the five. Okay, so Joseph Rodriguez says no social media. So I'm going to find you, Joseph, through, uh, through, uh, through Google here, through YouTube. So I'm going to send you a message through this thing. Uh, I was looking at the little options. I can I can block user, put him in timeout. I don't want to do either of those things. I'm going to I'm going to get in touch with Joseph Rodriguez. We will send this gift card to you, my friends. Huge shout out to Manny Chang behind the scenes making everything go. Huge uh, huge shout out as well to Frank Zaffrey. Huge shout out, even though he couldn't be with us today, to James Walker, uh, to JP Reese for joining us. Frank, you have any parting comments before we wrap it up, sir? No, I, I really enjoyed the show, and um, I can't wait to have James Walker back next week and go with Vander Holyfield, man. He's going to knock Vitor Belfort out. You heard it here first. Bet that. Bet, bet Holyfield. He's the real deal. Five-time boxing heavyweight champion. I love it. Beautiful. All right, we will talk to you guys again next week. I just hope Holyfield gets out of the ring in one piece. We <laughs> Thank you, Michael. We'll be back with you guys next Thursday, same time. Same network right here on the Five Reasons Sports Network for another episode of Five Rounds. See ya.